fair warning, this video goes over a topic other less responsible Catholic commentators dismissed without cause regarding Malachi Martin and allegations of a satanic cabal in the Vatican. It's been dismissed by many commentators over the years, and I make no reference to any particular commentator. I hope that those still in the media will retract their statement calling Martin a conspiracy theorist kook in light of the reporting of church militants in recent weeks. So on to the topic of the day. By now, most of you have heard about the allegations made against Cardinal Bernadine. If not, here's a very brief recap. Someone working in the Chancery Office in the Archdiocese of Chicago leaked to church militant documents showing that allegations of abuse have been leveled against the late Cardinal Bernadine, and that Cardinal Supich, friend of this channel, not only knew about it, but also hid those documents from state investigators when they asked for all documents related to allegations of clerical sexual abuse. That's a felony. But the thrust of the allegation against Bernadine isn't merely that it was sexual assault, but that the assault was part of a black mass meant to desecrate the Eucharist. The young man who made the claim has a history of trying to get these allegations on the public record, but has had little success so far. This story has piqued the interest of those who read the work or listened to the old interviews of the late Father Malachi Martin, who had told various interviewers about Satanism being rife in the hierarchy of the Catholic Church. Fair warning, this video contains spoilers for, for a Malachi Martin novel, though that novel has been out for 25 years. You were warned. In his novel, Windswept House, Martin made the allegation that a cardinal named Leonardin had conducted a satanic rite involving a black mass and brutal gang rape of a young girl named Agnes as part of an international series of satanic rites meant to enthrone Satan in the Vatican. This claim has been something people in our spheres of investigation and commentary have been interested in for that much time or longer. Many feel vindicated by the new allegations made against Cardinal Bernadine, saying that Malachi Martin was vindicated by these allegations. To be clear, he has been yet to be vindicated on the specific charge of that black mass. I will in brief go over that right as described in Windswept House and the real-life Agnes, who is a real person and is not the person in the allegations as laid out by Church Militant. When I'm done, I hope that it will be clear that we all wait the release of any documentation, proving or otherwise, that Bernadine had been suspected of involvement in such a rite, which Malachi Martin himself went to his grave saying evidence did exist about that and was in the hands of ecclesial authorities here in the United States. So let's get into this. And remember, Martin said that Windswept House was 99% fact, that little of it was fictional, save for his renaming real-life characters, which he didn't do in a particularly creative way anyway. First, let's talk the allegations from Church Militant. The victim was a young man who says that in 1957 he was the victim of a black mass desecrating the Eucharist involving the same-sex rape. The attack involved Bernadine and his, and his bishop, Bishop Russell, and occurred in 1957 again in South Carolina. The black mass described in Windswept House occurred in the novel on June 29, 1963, in South Carolina and in the Vatican simultaneously, with the attack on the victim, called in the book and by investigators Agnes, who was a young woman. The church, the church militant case involves a young man as a victim, which suggests that these are clearly different incidents occurring over the span of several years. Though, as we'll see, the real Agnes' story happened in the same year, but they are different events. 
But we discuss, But before we discuss Agnes specifically, let's talk what Malachi Martin called it, the enthronement, since I know a lot of people want to know about the enthronement of Satan in the Vatican. The 1963 attack occurred on the feast day of Saints Peter and Paul. According to Martin, the Satanists, the real Satanists, not some ridiculous rock musicians, not some idiots who follow Anton LaVey, but the real deal, had a prophecy that they would enter the final phase before their victory over the church when a pope calling himself Paul would get elected to the papacy, and that when that event happened, the agents of Satan would need to conduct a black mass ritual of enthronement on that specific feast day, and it had to occur in St. Paul's Chapel in the Vatican. The rite was conducted simultaneously there and in a small parish in South Carolina, with both ceremonies connected using telephones to leak the ceremonies. The South Carolina uh, Mass was held there, far away from the Vatican, for security reasons. Martin would lay this out in Keys of This Blood, where he described the situation in the Vatican in this way, quoting the, novel, quoting the book. Most frighteningly for Pope John Paul II, he had come up against the irremovable presence of a malign strength in his own Vatican and in certain bishops' chanceries. It was what knowledgeable churchmen called the superforce. Rumors, always difficult to verify, tied its installation to the beginning of Pope Paul VI's reign in 1963. Indeed, Paul had alluded somberly to the smoke of Satan which has entered the sanctuary, an oblique reference to an enthronement ceremony by Satanists in the Vatican. Besides, the incidence of satanic pedophilia rites and practices, which was already documented among certain bishops and priests as widely dispersed as Turin in Italy and in South Carolina in the United States. The cultic acts of satanic pedophilia are considered by professionals to be the culmination of the fallen angel's rites. End quote. That's pretty heavy stuff, I know. But these allegations have been more or less backed up by statements made by exorcists like Father Gabriel Amorth, who would often comment on the supernatural darkness in the Vatican and how demonic activity had picked up in recent years. Relatedly, Father Chad Ripperger has said in various places that the work of exorcists like himself has picked up dramatically in recent years, especially in Italy, and that exorcisms under either the old or new rites that would have been routine in years past have become much, much more difficult now than they had been before. To end on the enthronement, people would assume that the purpose of this ceremony was to have Satan rule the Vatican and to be worshipped himself directly. The first half of that is true, but remember, again, according to our author, according, again, to any reputable exorcist, Satan doesn't care if you worship him directly or not, though I'm sure he's amused by those who do. He just doesn't want you to worship the Lord God. Period. The Satanists in Windswept House did not have any open worship by the lay faithful as their goal. The purpose of the enthronement was to turn the church away from spreading the gospel and turn the, to turn the church into a secular political organization concerned with activism, social justice issues, and in general, the material well-being of people and not the salvation of souls. If all of that sounds familiar to you, it should, as we can see that the organization in the U.S. that Cardinal Bernadin founded what would later call itself the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, is far more concerned with political activism than they are with spreading the gospel. We can see it in the various documents of the various papacies since the early 1960s, but especially in papal encyclicals like Populorum Progressio by Paul VI, Laudato Si by Francis, and even to some degree in Centenimus Animus 
by John Paul II, all of which endorse a more technocratic global vision for Catholic social teaching than had been even remotely the case in the past. It is also evidence in the globetrotting done by popes over the years, and the presence at the United Nations of various popes at various times, and, most disturbingly to me, the presence of Vatican diplomats at the Bilderberg conferences last year. It cannot be denied that a worldly turn has taken the Church since the time of the Council. We joke about it often when we invoke the spirit of Vatican II. Remember Martin's claims and the allegations against Bernadine in the future when you see this worldly focus of the Church, or when someone invokes the spirit of Vatican II, even in jest. Martin would speak of this in the early 1990s interviews and in Keys of This Blood as the superforce that was in opposition to JP2, a superforce that was hell-bent on changing the church into an NGO with incense. We can call it the Lavender Mafia today if we like, though remember, this superforce is alleged to be bigger than merely being about priests who suffer same-sex attraction and secretly live and even openly advocate for that related lifestyle. It is about a supernatural corruption of men and even women in the church. Men, Martin describes secret lesbian cabals of nuns practicing Wicca, priests who had been secretly married in a same-sex ceremony to another male, and other such crimes that go beyond merely the presence of unfit men in the priesthood, but a categorical rejection of the faith who by those who claim to still be practicing it, and who could be able to recite the creeds of the church with little difficulty. And these men and women often were the cause of much grief in the church, blocking, according to Martin, communication with popes about corruption issues in the church, a charge that is eerily familiar to those who recall that Benedict XVI often said that his authority ended at his office door and the whispers that his mail was at least read, if not outright intercepted, by lavender mafia types in the Vatican before it ever reached his desk, and sometimes that mail never need to even get to him. Now on to Agnes. To get it out of the way, we don't know her real name, but she is real. The woman called that gets called Agnes has been has insisted on living a life of relative anonymity since she made her accusations against Bernadine in the late 1980s. Here are some facts about Agnes. She has a family and grown children, and did so by the late 1990s. An article by Roman Catholic Faithful from the late 90s that I'll quote momentarily says that she and her husband lived in a southern state. Her husband makes, or likely at this point, made a living in law enforcement. I'm going to quote now directly from that Roman Catholic Faithful article from that time, probably from 1998. Quote, Over the past 12 years, in sworn deposition, in accounts to investigators, in affidavits submitted in support of others' cases, in direct statements to Bernadine, in phone calls and letters to church officials, and in correspondence with Vatican officials, all of which RCF has examined, Agnes has testified to the following story. In the fall of 1957, in Greenville, South Carolina, Father Joseph Bernadine raped 11-year-old Agnes as part of a satanic ritual that involved, among others, Bishop John Russell of Charleston. Brought to the event by an abusive father, Agnes was able at first to resist Bishop Russell physically, and out of the knowledge that God had made her good, not bad, as I was being told, quoting her words. Bernadine then showed kindness and approval of her resistance, in order to gain her trust and get her to relax, and then he raped her. He followed the rape with a perverted use of a host, in an attempt to make Agnes swallow the guilt of the event. In the fall of 1992, Agnes passed a polygraph examination regarding these events. 
She also, in early 1990, told her story to Malachi Martin, who had been recommended to her as someone who could get her information to the Vatican, which Agnes knew had sole and immediate jurisdiction over such a case. Martin wrote a novel, Windswept House, with the premise that Agnes had given him, that the Catholic hierarchy's tolerance of heresy, liturgical abuse, clerical sexual misconduct, and clerical pedophilia had one overarching explanation at root, a network of Satanists whose smoke had ascended high in the church. Her story is greatly theatricalized in the novel, but the essential fact of the ritual rape is there, as is the spiritual reality of Christ's presence in the victimized child. Thirty-four years later, Agnes went to visit Bishop Russell in a nursing home. In and out of lucidity, he agreed to testify against Bernadette if asked. He died without the opportunity to do so. Agnes later came to know Steve Cook and submitted an affidavit in support of his suit. Before he died, Cook told Agnes he was writing a book to tell the truth about his abuse, and he gave a different account of his lawsuit retraction than the one publicly accepted. End quote. Cook was another victim of Bernadine's from the same time period who was threatening to go public, and then he died. I'll let you marinate on that one on your own. So what are we left with? Malachi Martin possibly changed the date of the enthronement and placed it about a year before the... when it was in reality placed about a year before the death of Pius XII. That itself has serious implications and may help explain why John XXIII didn't take the Fatima warning seriously, as a black mass of enthronement would likely explain what Sister Lucia called the diabolic disorientation that entered the church. And it can explain why his principal encyclical, Terra and Pachum, was more modern, and for lack of a better word, liberal, than those of his predecessors going back centuries. We do know that the real Agnes was put in contact in the late 1980s or early 1990s with Malachi Martin, who never hid that he maintained contacts in the Vatican, including with the bishop he was under the authority of as a secularized priest. As an aside, in my video on Malachi Martin that I released last Christmas, I show why he wasn't laicized but secularized, despite his using the laicized label himself, which he probably did because people understand laicization at the most basic level, but not secularization. In fact, most Catholics have never even heard of being secularized. Anyway, Martin often would reference this, his connections in the Vatican as a credential for the claims he made in his writings. If you've listened to any of his interviews, you've probably heard him mention that. So in closing, I will say this. Church Militant has said that they have more allegations against Bernadine forthcoming. That may have been in reference to what James Grides said in their recent interview with him. And if that's the case, that is disappointing. If there had been allegations made to his face by Agnes then there would be records in the Chancery of the Archdiocese of Chicago. And if Church Militant was given the full records of allegations against Bernadine, then they have those documents as well. Remember, the uh, Roman Catholic Faithful article said the investigators saw those documents. If Agnes's story is true, then it must come to light, regardless of the consequences. This story must be told publicly and from an official position, for the state of the Church can be explained at least in part by her story. Her assault happened when she was a child 62 years ago, which would put her in her 70s today at a minimum. But to be clear, the allegations made by Church Militant do not involve Agnes or the enthronement. The Church Militant allegations do involve the other, no, don't involve the other known victim either, a man named Cook referenced earlier. The Church Militant allegations come from as yet an unnamed victim, providing a pattern of behavior for Bernadette in the year 1957. What this also means is there are at least three victims of Bernadine who have experienced satanic abuse rights. Agnes, Cook, who I didn't really touch upon, and the unnamed church militant source. This is itself noteworthy as it establishes a pattern of behavior, if this is true. 
Remember, these are all allegations. So what do you think of this? I know that I promised a State of the Church according to Malachi Martin video some time ago. It is my goal to get that video done this summer. I have been waiting on the time to be right to do that video, and it's obviously right at this time. But what do you think about the state of things as I've laid them out? Let me know what you think in the comments below. As always, pray that the dark secrets of the bad men who have run the church into the rocks comes to light, so that the church can begin the much-needed cleansing process that we are all waiting for. Thanks for listening and for your support. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.